What's up, everybody? Welcome to Draft Chaff. This is episode number 173. My name is Zach. I'm one of your hosts. And joining me, as per usual, Ben Fisher. What's up, dude? Not too much. It's uh, a little later than, than normal. Should we be saying good night to the listener instead? <laughs> well, the listener may be listening to this at any time. We're recording this quite late, though, yeah. We've got a fun episode for you guys, though, this week. Uh, before we jump into that, of course, our usual housekeeping. If you're not already in the Discord, do check that out. It's the best place to be to chat all things MTG. Hang out with the rest of the Traficionado community. And, um, well, we're in there pretty regularly, too. So if you want to interact with us, that's a great place to do it. Uh, it's totally free. We've had some folks reach out and say they weren't aware that the Discord was free. Uh, totally oh, free. yeah. Don't, don't worry about that. The, the link to that is in the episode description as well as in our Twitter page. So we'd love to see you over there. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod. Huge, huge thanks to everybody who continues to support us over there each and every week. Uh, we love you guys. And um, got a lot of big changes coming. So if you're not able to join the Patreon right now, there, there's a brief period here where you won't be able to do it because we're it's all under construction. We're reworking it. If you're listening to this during that time, check back. But you can check that out at patreon.com forward slash draft chat pod. Wait, hold on, Zach. There's a note. You mentioned that the Discord is entirely free, but what about that one paywalled, uh, like super secret Discord channel where uh, we, we post our ultimate hottest takes and uh, also risque photos? Ben, your OnlyFans doesn't count. Like that's not all <laughs> uh, my only drafts account. <laughs> your only drafts, yeah. Right. Let's get on to our cracker draft type thing. Um, this week, we've got a spicy, what is this, pack one, pick one? Yep, straight up pack one, pick one from a, a nice little format called Shadows Over Innistrad Remastered. Interested? Never heard of it. Well, uh, get used to it because uh, it's actually coming up. It's dropping next week, and I am very excited. I love this set. I love this format. All right, let's talk about what's going on in this pack. We've got to take inventory. That's the one of the blue draw card, then draw cards equal to the number of cards called take inventory in your graveyard. So it starts off as a two-mana sorcery draw-one card. Kind of garbage, right? But what if you put four in a deck? Eh? Yeah, I mean, if you can draft a bunch of them, I guess it's decent. But how many, of card, how many card slots in your deck do you typically want to take up with an effect like this? Uh, that becomes a tougher question to answer, and I'm definitely not looking to do that. It's weird because you want to take these early if you are going to go in on the game plan so that you can get as many of them as possible, mm -hmm. but you don't want to take this card early. So, <laughs> Yeah, I think this one is at perfect home in the blue-red spells vector, which you can go very deep on spells in, uh, and you do actually want significant amounts of card advantage in there because at that point you're just bolting things and card drawing things and, and then eventually winning the game with like a... I don't know, a dose in a perfection or a rise from the tides or some nonsense big blue busted rare. Uh, so take inventory can be fine there, but I guess maybe you want to slam like a fevered visions or something first. And then you, you want the reason to be in blue red spells first, and then you want to pick these up after that. Yeah. Yeah. These are also kind of in that, that interesting space in a pack where if nobody at the table wants them, you're getting them wheeled every pack, right? Like you're going to get, these pass to you because you yeah, need true. To, everybody else is going to be trying to find their slot in that deck like the reason to be in that deck before they take these as well so if they if you find it before them they're going to pass you these and uh you should be good to go next up we've got rush of adrenaline this is red for an instant combat trick target creature gets plus two plus one and gains trample till end of turn trample's nice for one mana 
I mean, just one mana, two power, trample. That's makings of a pretty good trick right there. But again, this is obviously kind of junky. It's it's vector. It's kind of vector agnostic, right? You want this in an aggressive red deck. Guess what? <laughs> Red's aggressive. Shocking. Although it is weird to come from Woe, where we had like a, an effect like this that was like, give a thing plus two plus one and a monster roll. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's true. Like, the power creep is being felt for sure. Next up, we've got Grapple with the Past. That's the two mana instant. Uh, you get to mill three cards, and then you can return a creature or land card from your graveyard to your hand. Really cool regrowth effect. Grapple is awesome, and it does have a home in some of the ridiculous mill your entire deck out and then start putting stuff from graveyard on top of your library back in your hand. Epitaph Golem comes to mind, which can put something from your, li- uh, from your graveyard on the bottom of your library. Which, if you only have one card in library or no, no cards in library, it becomes your library. So you can loop grapples and do so, all sorts of like weird late game stuff. Or it's just a good way to get back your bomb that they killed. You know, so versatile card. Stormrider Spirits next. Five mana, three, three, flash, flying. Just four and a blue. Um, nah, kind of lame. <laughs> you can I see mean, it coming from a mile spot away. For spirits, but yeah, this is a. Uh... Very telegraphed and three mana. Uh, sorry, three three flyers in this format. Not the best thing in the world. Yeah, it's especially just now you're overpaying for it. Yeah, like what's the joke? I mean, if I have a three two and they have five you, mana, you're up the joke. Like, yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> if I have a three two, I'm looking to attack with, and I suspect they have this. I'm still just going to attack. Like then I traded my three drop for their five drop. Cool, I win. <laughs> I think um, I'm starting to think that when we record late, it's, it gets a little weird, you know, I, I'm sensing a vibe today. Uh, Essence Flux is up next. Blue instant. Exile a creature you control, then return that card to the battlefield. So a, a flicker effect, right? If it's a spirit, you put a 1-1 counter on it. Obviously an instant. Uh, if you have creatures with really good ETBs you want to rebuy, sure. <laughs> but I, I don't think that's what this set is about. This set is a lot more madness flashback stuff like that this isn't a super etb heavy set transform right a lot of the value contained within cards is contained in other methods than their etbs which i think is actually a reason why the set feels refreshing in some ways a lot of modern magic i mean just think of all the great etb triggers in uh, march of the machine right it, it felt like every rare had a ridiculous bomb etb look at a tally uh, or or kyrian hitetsugu right um this is not the set for Essence Flux. Yeah, but you just missed like the best combo, right? You Storm Rider Spirit when your opponent attacks with their 3 2, <laughs> block, and then Essence Flux to bounce your Storm Rider Spirit, not take the damage, and then have a 4 4 flyer. Right. For six. Uh, <laughs> let's move on. Over Liliana's <laughs> Elite. Liliana's Elite. Three mana, two and a black. Uh, it's a 1 1 zombie. And it says it gets 1 1 for each creature card in your graveyard. Pretty clear vector here. If you see this in a deck with like a bunch of grapples at the past, yeah, you can do something cool with this. I've seen this thing be a 4-4 or a 5-5 for three mana. That's pretty good. Uh, Of course, on turn three, have you really milled yourself that much yet? Like grapple at the past, maybe you mill a land, a spell, and a creature, and then you return the creature to your hand with grapple. Then you play Liliana's lead on turn three, and it's just a three mana 1-1, even though you self-milled with a good self-mill card. So... Uh, this one's again replacement level. Uh, I'm not interested. Yeah. 
Next up here, we've got Conduit of Storms. Two and a red. Three mana, two, three. Uh, it's a werewolf horror. Uh, whenever it attacks, you add red at the beginning of your next main phase this turn. So your post-combat main phase, you get a red mana. Uh, and then it says three red, red, transform Conduit of Storms. So one of the manual transform cards. Uh, now on the back, you've got Conduit of Emrakul. It's a 5-4. It's colorless now, an Eldrazi werewolf. Uh, and when it attacks, you add colorless, colorless to your mana pool at the beginning of your next main phase this turn. So the same effect as the front, except now it's a lot beefier and it adds two colorless mana instead. Uh, good rate card. You'll always include this in a werewolf deck. I've found this one to be one of the more threatening ones. Transform cards have a sort of inherent card advantage to them, where this is a three drop, but then it also takes the place of a five drop. Because, you know, upgrading your 3-mana 2-3 into a 5-mana 5-4 is kind of worth a card, right? If you have nothing else to do and it, it, it adds to the board, it kind of has haste if you can activate that during your first main. Although the joke is that you attack uh, on turn 4, you know, on curve, right? You play this on turn 3, turn 4 you attack, you hit your 4th land drop, you get this red mana, you activate it. And then the next turn, you swing with a 5-4, you float 2 colorless. So uh, this thing... It gets big quick, right? Also, horrifying artwork on the back. Yeah. Um, the other thing is this does give you the potential option of turn five attack. They get awkward blocks because now you can transform at instant speed and they like true. Yeah. What are they going to do with that? Um, so the threat of activation is real here as well. Uh, and probably one of the big reasons why this costs five to transform in the first place, because at four, it'd be really annoying to have to deal with. Um, when you're attacking the turn after you played this thing that said um probably the best card in the commons so far i don't know i'm I'm kind of between that and grapple i think grapple supports a lot of decks in the format so you may want a copy of that whereas conduit probably fits into fewer vectors um than grapple does uh so that's kind of where i'm leaning at this point but yeah i do think those are the best two cards uh Two more commons we've got to discuss here. Hinterland Lager. Uh, one of the green, 2-1, human werewolf. Normal. And then it has the old transforming text. At the beginning of each upkeep, if no spells were cast this turn, you transform it. Uh, it flips into a 4-2 trample with the old transforming text of if a player casts two or more spells this turn, flip it back. It's kind of absurd to have a set with this many different ways to transform things <laughs> when you think about it like having two werewolves right next to each other highlights that this is honestly one of the biggest failures of magic design i can think of that they didn't kind of commit to one of these and stick with it the new day nightbound is just absolutely ridiculous the tracking with it and and all that is messy but i guess an improvement over this i don't even know how you fix day night <laughs> it, it's nice like people get it but just like trying to explain it to someone you don't want werewolves to be someone's first magic deck we'll put it like that uh great card though i, I love hinterland lager i would take this over everything so far just a, it's a yeah, human on the front side humans is a good vector too and then werewolf on the back side sometimes you have a good werewolf card it happens to sneak in your green white humans deck or something so uh, yeah i like it speaking of spirits with good etvs how about a guardian of pilgrims uh two mana one of the white it's a two two spirit cleric and uh, when it enters the battlefield, target creature gets plus one, plus one until end of turn. If you played a one drop, it's kind of sick. Otherwise, it's pretty mid. Yeah, not not 
I, I would rather have the logger here. Uh, not the two drop I'm really looking for. Though, I guess, yeah, to your point, if you've got like a really low to the ground, low curve, aggressive, maybe red white deck or something, doesn't particularly care about other spirits. So you can, any one drop will do. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, you get the, the thing, but then you just have a vanilla 2 2 sitting around. So. All right. Onto our uncommons. We've got Fiery Temper. This card is a banger and immediately is better than everything yes, we've seen is. so far. Uh, one red, red instant. It deals two damage to any target, but it has madness for just red. So madness is as you would discard a card, you can instead discard this card and pay its madness cost. And then you get to discard it into exile and then cast it from exile, uh, paying its madness cost. Uh, if this card would be discarded. That was my rough paraphrasing of, of madness. How did I do? Hey, uh, it was okay. Um, but yes, <laughs> essentially, yeah, when you could discard cards, you would instead discard the madness card and pay its cost and cast it. Um, yeah. Phenomenal. Essentially, this becomes a lightning bolt and never a bad thing to have in red decks. So uh, yeah, easily this becomes top of the list for this pack so far. Um, no other comments. <laughs> yeah, actually, this becomes better than Lightning Bolt in some scenarios, right? Like, you have a yeah. Faithless Looting in your deck, and you draw two cards, and then you need to discard two cards. What if you pitch two Fiery Tempers, right? <laughs> then, then you're not actually discarding any cards, right? Those were cards you would have probably cast this turn anyway. It just so happens that those two cards have to be two Lightning Bolts. Would a lot of players complain about casting two Lightning Bolts in the same turn in the Game Unlimited? No. <laughs> Yeah, not if each... I mean, yeah, another way to think about that is uh, in our roundabout draft chaffy way. Um, it's a lightning bolt with draw card stapled onto it in the Faithless Looting scenario. It is, actually. <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is with Madness, you're usually using Madness cards to pay for a cost that requires discarding a card, right? right. So yeah, like you're not relying on your opponent to force you to discard cards here. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're triggering something a faithless looting comes to mind but there's tons of ways to discard in red and black particularly even some in blue um but red alone i had a great mono red deck when this de- uh when the set was last out it was just mono red madness and it was awesome very nice next up we've got Erdwall illuminator one of the blue one three flying spirit uh whenever you investigate for the first time each turn investigate again it's nice. Uh, funny enough, blue-green clues is fine. Green-white clues, I think, is what can really pop off. But even just bant clues, like this is sometimes worth splashing. A little awkward splashing a two-drop, but it's one that you can really get going in the late game. Uh, when the clues vector gets going, it is such an engine. It's one of my favorite things to do in the set, and I've had some really cool decks that win a lot while also uh, having a lot of fun with clues. So Illuminator is a card to keep an eye on, but not one that I usually feel like I really need. Uh, you can have too many clues, right? If you can't crack them all, then you're not getting the value off of them. You want to be able to crack the clues and also cast the spells you're drawing off of them, right? Yeah, this isn't a set like, whoa, where, oh, if I've just got these food lying around, I can bargain them away and get some extra value out of them, even if I don't pay the cost to use the thing there really isn't any any of that get extra value out of my artifact tokens in this set you you need to be cracking your clues now i will say if you have a tomio's journal uh you're not passing okay. <laughs> the illuminator yeah. at least uh i'm not i i love that kind of thing 
Yeah, that said, I don't think we're first picking Illuminator almost ever. No. Uh, I've got a good creature here for you, though. Duskwatch Recruiter is our last uncommon. One of the green, 2-2. Two, two. Human Warrior Werewolf. Uh, you can pay three and a green. Look at the top three cards of your library. I was like, man, it's been a long time since I cast a, a Duskwatch Recruiter. Uh, you may reveal a creature card from one of them. Put it in your hand, put the rest on the bottom of your library in any order. Uh, and then it has the usual old werewolf text where if uh, no spells were cast this turn, you flip it. On the backside, it's a three mana, uh, it's a, a three three, and it says creature spells cost one less to cast. It's also a werewolf on the back. Um, and then it has the backside of werewolf cards. If a, two or more spells were cast, it flips back to the front side. So Duskwatch Recruiter is awesome. This was a standard staple for a while, too. It kind of plays into its own theme. On turn four, you can activate it, get a creature card, and then immediately flip it into the 3-3. This is usually the point where your opponent kills it. Uh, let's be honest, that happens a lot. That, that's a pretty common sequence. They kill it as it's about to transform or something like that. Because if you can get it to stick on the backside, where creature spells now cost one less, then the creature that you just got costs less. You know, plays to itself well. Now, before we talk about our rare, uh, we actually have, well, the whole reason we're doing this, right? Uh, we have a, a fatal flashback, uh, an enchanting tale, but not an enchanting fail, right? This is part of the bonus sheet, which is the reason that Shadows of Rittenshad Remastered got so much hype in the first place. During the original run, they had these sets that got swapped in each week. And uh, our, our fatal flashback this week is uh, Travel Preps. Travel preparations. One of the green sorcery. Put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. And then it has flashback for one in the white. This card is nuts. It is so good. Yeah, and you love to see it in any of your really any of your creature decks. Um Ben, how often are you casting this in a uh like or I should, let me let me phrase it this way. How often are you splashing for the flashback on this? All the time. Absolutely worth it. It's worth even if you're playing, I don't know, green red, just toss a planes in your deck just because it's that good an effect. When you get to pick how you distribute these four counters, if you're able to cast both halves, you can make combat math impossible for your opponent. Uh, this set is quick and it's high powered. So there'll be good curve outs from both sides. When you have this much agency in the way that you curve out and, and where the power gets distributed, you'll find it's very easy to attack past your opponents, especially if you're playing green-white humans, which is already building on itself pretty well. Going wide, making tokens, making things difficult to block with pump spells and uh, good abilities like First Strike, Lifelink, that type of thing. Uh, and then putting counters on those creatures just makes nightmares for your opponent's combat math. Uh, that's a pretty spooky card. We'll talk more about it later. Now, I would ask as well, I mean, you can look at the 17 lands data for the last time the set was out and see Travel Prep was one of the better cards, I would say, in that that uh, week, right? Was it like of, top five you know, or something? It was up there. Yeah, it definitely cracked top 10. Um, how often are you first picking it? I've done it before and I'll do it again, but I'm not sure it's better than Fiery Temper. Yeah, that's where my head was at too. I, I'm not even sure I would take it over Duskwatch Recruiter Pack One Pick One. I think I would. Okay. Yeah, I, I think I would take it over Recruiter. It's easily clearing Illuminator and all the other commons. 
Oh yeah. I think temper might be better. Temper it can go face. It's just so good. Travel yeah. preps, I think if you I don't know. I have this more is fun a set with Thermo Alchemist in it. Like oh, yeah. Thermo Alchemist is in a set and I see a fiery temper, I'm taking the temper and I'm hoping to open Thermo Alchemist or get past it. I I believe it is, unless it was part of the rotation stuff. Um now there's also a rare here. It's Stitcher's Graft. Hey, <laughs> everyone's favorite. Uh, it just costs one mana, and it's an equipment with equip two mana. And it says, equip creature gets plus three plus three. Well, that sounds awesome. There's no downsides, though. <laughs> oh, wait a minute. Hold on. There's a bit more text on here. Uh, whenever equipped creature attacks, it doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. Okay, that's fine. I mean... Oh, wait, there's no, a little bit more. There's, there's more text. Uh-oh. Uh, when it becomes unattached from a permanent, sacrifice that permanent. Hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is unplayable, unfortunately. I have never seen anything good happen with this. If you can make... I don't know. Maybe if you have three copies of Lingering Souls, or some way <laughs> to, to make an absurd number of creatures, and you're comfortable paying the cost of sacrificing them all, and then just re-equipping this every turn to smack in for a million damage with evasion. I think with exactly three plus copies of Lingering Souls, I would play this card, but otherwise, no. Yikes, that's not very good. See, here's the thing. Uh, this card's actually really good. You just need to play it with... You just need to play with Sleep Cursed Fairy. And then you're good to go. You can just pay the mana, untap it. The, the untap thing doesn't matter. And then you just never move it. And now you've got huh. like a 6-6 six, six fly. Oh, wait. Uh, that's not in the set. Um, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Uh, never touch this card. Um, let's just take our fiery temper and be happy. We got a, a, a bolt. Yep. I do think you could argue for travel preps over it. But I... Oh man, I would I would want to take both, you know. It'd be a spur of the moment thing. I think to spike you take fiery temper. I think to have a really messed up deck if it gets in there the in the best end, ways. Yeah, you take travel prep. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our Teferi Tibble. This is our Roses and Thorns style segment where Ben and I share a high and a low from the past week. Ben, how's it going? It's going. Man, it's a busy time of year. Fall feels like things all just start happening, right? Even after people have long since left school and college, it's just like a busy time. Uh, Holidays are all coming up, that type of thing. The biggest thing on our radar, I think, are uh, some upcoming changes to the show, which we are very excited about. All positives, no downsides here. Uh, It's a lot of work, though. I would say it's a bit of a Teferi and a Tibble. But I'm very happy with the direction that we're going. Uh, I like it a lot. And I, th- I, I think everyone listening will too. Um, although we do really value feedback. So uh, if we make changes and you don't like them, tell us. But if we do like them, also tell us because we like hearing <laughs> from you. You're a cool person, listener. You know. <laughs> anyway, uh, so my, my real tibble this week uh, is my schedule. This week I am staying after... Uh, school each day to help students resubmit exams, which is good. Um, students, I think, I, I don't know, they often forget that science is iterative and it's a process. So I like to make sure that students are able to uh, come and resubmit problems they got incorrect on the exam. They fill out this whole form where they tell me their incorrect thinking that led to that answer. And they have to justify the right answer with experiments or hypotheses we created in class. Uh, it's a good process. And students often give me the feedback that 
they learn more from correcting their mistakes than they do actually in class. So that's great. It just takes time. And that means I'm staying after like an extra hour, hour, 20 minutes every day for a week, um, which sucks, but it's fun to see them learning. And I like seeing who comes and who wants to do better. And it's nice. But uh, man, it's a lot of time. And teachers notoriously don't have a lot of that. Anyway, what's up? Yeah, um, I guess my Teferi is that we finally are having fall weather here in the Northeast. Um, it was been in like the low 60s, high 50s all week so far. It was yeah. a little warmer today, but um, it just feels great. It's my favorite time of year. I love the smell in the air when you know fall weather starts to hit and just wardrobes and everything. It's everything about this season is the best. Got the um, flannels. That said, yeah, I'm rocking one today. Um, speaking of which, if you're not watching the show on Spotify or YouTube, go do that because you can do that now um, and have been able to for a while. But uh, that said, with the fall weather coming, I need to find, we talked about this a little bit for you last week, Ben. Uh, I need to find a good candle scent for my apartment oh, for the fall here. Yeah. So um, still trying to figure that out. Don't have one yet. but. Um, We'll see. We'll see how that goes. My tibble is that it's late and we're recording quite late. All right. On to our listener question of the week. This week, our question comes from Spurlo. And Spurlo asks, do you find any of the skills honed drafting MTG advantageous in other facets of your daily life? Great, Great question. question. Yes. <laughs> Next. Uh, <no. laughs> yeah, I think the biggest one that comes to mind is how to deal with losing. It's a thing that even the best magic players spend a third to half of their time doing, right? And dealing with loss in many senses of the word is something that's a human skill that you have to build throughout your lifetime. Some people don't respond to loss as well as others. Um, and there's, of course, a whole variety of ways to, to help deal with it in, in good ways. And when I say loss, I don't just mean like maybe loss of a loved one or a person, but I also mean like, I guess, challenges, right? Something that comes up with your career or in your personal life. Um, dealing with the challenges is something you do in every game of Magic, right? Your opponent, you know, two for one's you. And, and you're like, well, <laughs> I, I can't win from right now. How do, I, how do I approach this? What's my mindset? How do I deal with this? Uh, having fun and finding the enjoyment and the beauty in your losses is, I think, one of the greatest skills a Magic player can have. Uh, if you're playing a lot of limited and you're not having fun, even while you're losing games, ask yourself why. Um, I think that's a great skill for people to have in their everyday life too, right? Sometimes things don't go your way in life and it's great to have a positive approach to that, right? Yeah, being able to kind of just see any situation and recognize that like, hey, this isn't going great and that's okay. Um, you know, not letting it completely deteriorate your ability to be happy or content or um, find value in some capacity in the situation, then uh, I think is really one of the most beneficial things you can kind of figure out in life, period. Uh, really changes the way that you approach really any difficult situation. So totally agree with you on that one. Um, I think for me as well, uh, probably 
I mean, decision-making in general is one that, that drafting has helped with, you know, on the fly decision-making where you don't necessarily have a ton of time to prep for the specific decision, but you've got to make one in the moment and like you're mm. able to evaluate choices and, um, yeah, kind of do a quick pro con on, on like what, what's going on between the two, two choices and make a decision is, is also very valuable. And I think comes up a lot with whether it's with relationships or your career or whatever. So that, that's a big one. Um, something else that comes to mind is playing to your outs, which I think people mm -hmm. often think of as getting lucky. Sometimes you might see a magic player rip a card off the top of their deck and it's like the perfect card for that moment. But really, a good magic player will set themselves up to pull that card, right? Maybe that's their only possible path to victory. So they set themselves up to top deck that card because it's their only line. I think there's ways you can apply this in everyday life, too. I like to think of it as setting yourself up for success. Maybe putting yourself in situations that are more likely to turn out favorable for you. Um, whether that means, like, I think of something that comes to mind with your car. Right. If you got a car and one of those annoying lights comes on and you're like, oh, man, my car light is on. Now I have to go take it to the shop. Some people might just say, you know what, I can let it slide for a little bit. But what happens when you let it slide for a little bit? Something catastrophic happens, right? Your car battery dies, for example. I think in that case, that's a, an example of you setting yourself up for failure. Whereas setting yourself up for success would be, you know, going and eating your vegetables and getting it fixed immediately, um, or at least as soon as you can. That type of, of luck that you craft, um, I saw a good quote about it recently. I don't know. It, it's that you craft luck yourself. Like the more you play, the luckier you are through that, yeah, right? I've, I've, I've thought about this kind of a different way, and I, I totally agree with you, but it may be, um this is a different kind of mindset on the same sort of idea is that you're not necessarily increasing how lucky you are or whether you are lucky or not lucky, but you're increasing your surface area for luck to stick to. Mm, so you're yeah. basically just setting up multiple chances to be lucky or in, yeah, yeah. increasing your yeah. ability to capture luck as it comes by, so to speak. Um, you hear about this like in the business world a lot too, where like, uh, the quote unquote overnight success is someone who's taken 10 years to get to that point, right? Like they've spent years and years and years building something that yeah. overnight became successful. It really wasn't overnight, right? So they're, they're kind of increasing their surface area for luck such that, Hey, if I stick to this thing, maybe I'll get a good break. And to your point earlier, Ben, you're like, uh, kind of, um, yeah, it's almost like an odds thing. Like, yeah, maybe this doesn't work out, but I'm more likely to succeed in this scenario if I do X versus Y. And I'm less likely to succeed in this scenario when I do Y versus X. So um, I like to think of it that way, but that's that's a big one. I, I totally agree. I think also just being able to converse with people when things aren't going well is another one that's, that's good. Like how to manage when mm. someone else is having a bad time. Um, True. And be sort of sympathetic without necessarily letting yourself get pulled into the same uh same feeling talking about like a bad beats <laughs> magic story yeah. right your your uh your friend is losing in a tournament and you're like you need a way to be able to engage with them as a person yeah or even when when someone across the table from you isn't 
isn't having much luck and like everything seems to go wrong for them and they get really frustrated, like being able to kind of talk them down or just maybe decide not to talk them down because it's also, that might not be the best approach either. Like knowing what to do in those sorts of relationship settings uh, can be pretty beneficial as well. Yeah, I guess the um, the stereotype of like magic players is these basement dwellers. Uh, I, I don't find that to be very true. I, I have met some really great, thoughtful, kind people uh, while playing magic. Right. And I think uh, a lot of them have great communication skills, and that's why I get along with them so well. All right. So let's jump into our main topic. Thank you, Spurlo, for the question, by the way. Uh, if you want to have your question answered on the show, you can do so by jumping into the discord and checking out our listener questions channel. With that said, let's get on to our main topic this week, which is the top 10 scariest cards of Shadows Remastered. So we talked about it earlier, Shadows is back, and it's, I mean, honestly, the perfect timing. I'm, I'm glad Wizards decided to do it now because October, spooky season, we're, we're here for this. Ben and I both love this time of year, and it was a pretty good set overall. Yeah, it's fun. It's balanced. It's going to be a great break from Wilds of Eldraine, which I'm getting sick of i've hit the part of the format where i'm trying the wacky stuff i I built a food fight deck (laughs) the other day which uh that's the 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 one in red enchantment where uh artifacts you control have pay to uh sacrifice them deal damage equal to any target to one plus the number of enchantments two plus no one plus the number of enchantments named food fight you control so it, it turns your artifacts into two mana sack deal twos um kind of funny but it sucked. And even though I built around it, it just didn't do anything. So that was, I, I like it when my build arounds do something. Uh, in Shadows of Innistrad, the build arounds are part of these vectors because this is a handcrafted, kind of like a combination set of multiple Innistrad sets. Uh, we get these distinct, narrow vectors, but there's a lot of them that are good. Because of that, it means you're getting a lot of opportunities to try different good things that actually pay you off for committing. For example, well, the card we mentioned earlier, Travel Preparations, right? This sort of go-wide humans deck. You can do that. It looks like it's a thing that works, and it does work. Partially because it's tested already. They already knew that this was a fun card from previous iterations, so they put it in this one. And uh, let's be honest, when they build sets like this, they probably are using a bit of vector theory, right? They're saying, okay, what kind of vibes with other cards in this direction uh, that we could put into the set, either in the case of the Fatal Flashbacks or just by picking and choosing which creatures made it in in the first place? What cards were fun? What cards worked? And what cards work well together? Sounds like a vector theory haven, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And then they got to kind of even play around with that more with the bonus sheet, the way they handled the bonus sheets this time around. It's not just one bonus sheet, but it's quite a few and they rotate in and out. And so they were actually able to play with uh, vectors in a lot of different ways in terms of what goes into the main set. What do we include in these sort of uh, sub bonus sheet sets as well? And um, really would have been interesting to be a fly on the wall for the design conversations around this set. Yeah, for sure. Now, this goes live on the 17th, and it runs through the end of the month. So we've got a good two weeks, and they are doing Fatal Flashback, which is one of the bonus sheets that they decided to include. Uh, Flashback cards, right? And it's a lot of famous ones, ones you definitely know before. Uh, Unburial rights, stuff like that. Big Innistrad Flashback cards. I'm not going to say too many others, because uh, 
Well, we've got some scary cards to talk about. Scary in multiple senses of the word. Yeah, let's jump into that. Well, the number 10 scariest card I believe you could see across the battlefield from you is one that is scary more for the gameplay <laughs> than than for the uh, the flavor or anything else. Uh, although I guess it has a mystery element to it. Ulvenwald Mysteries. Two and a green enchantment. It's an uncommon. Whenever a non-token creature you control dies, investigate, which means you get a clue. Clues are artifacts. They're tokens. Uh, they say, pay two mana, sacrifice this artifact, draw a card. And then this enchantment has more. So whenever non-token you control dies, you get a clue. Then whenever you sacrifice a clue, you get a 1-1 white human soldier creature token. This card is so good. <laughs> if you can build around this in the slightest, and by which I mean put 14-ish creatures in your deck, you will have a blast. Uh, if you can then combine this with other things that proc off clues or creatures, which is an awful lot of stuff in the set, you can make some really disgusting, mid-rangey, grindy piles. Uh, there are some board states involving an Ovenwald Mysteries where there's not a combination of cards in the set that could allow your opponent to punch through. You just have this wall of card draw, tokens, value. In the late game, this functionally reads, whenever a non-token creature you control dies, draw a card and make a 1-1. One -one. The only thing limiting from it being that is mana. And, you know, if you draw enough cards, you hit enough land drops, you have the mana for this. Just such a fun card to play with. Honestly, I, I slam this card every time I see it. It's hard for me to pass this. Yeah, it's a really good one. And it's one that you really need to uh, have a reason not to put in your deck. Like, even if you're not playing green necessarily, if you have a really high creature density, this is still like a valuable card to splash uh, at three mana and just one colored pip. It's, it's relatively easy to splash. And yeah, I mean, like you said, it turns all of your creatures into two and a half for ones. <laughs> yeah. Like what? <laughs> yeah. All it asks is that you survive. And if you play creatures and, you know, start trading them off with this in play, then yeah, you're going to survive. So next up, number nine scariest card in Shadows of Remastered. Sever the Bloodline. This is three and a black for a sorcery. Exile target creature and all other creatures with the same name as that creature. And then it has flashback for five black black. Yeah, can I interest you in just a good removal spell with flashback? Yeah, I mean, at four mana, getting rid of just anything and it's exile, so it's not going to help your opponent's graveyard strategy. It's not going to yeah. help them with any of like their weird rebuy effects if you know they have any of those which there are plenty of in the set uh then also just randomly being able to potentially get some extra value by getting rid of multiple creatures um <laughs> i mean sever the bloodline and wilds of eldraine just imagine that with some gruff triplets on the battlefield like that would be <laughs> lovely uh, perfect answer but hey, I mean, even with just Olven, Olvenwald Mysteries, I mean, if your opponent's got a board of 1-1s, one yeah, you don't necessarily want to spend your 4-mana premium removal spell to get rid of some 1-1s, one but if that lets you punch through to win the game, this is one of the few cards that can punch through that wall you were talking about. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it can be brutal. Uh, this neatly answers some of the most busted strategies in the format, including going wide with clues and tokens, uh, including... Lingering Souls, which Lingering Souls tokens, 1-1 one, one flyers, one, one flyers, very hard to deal with. 
Uh, this cleanly answers all of them. And then it just sits in your graveyard until you flash it back and just kill something else. Um, one of the ways that the blue-red spells deck can win, we mentioned it earlier, is uh, with a rise from the tides. Six mana, you make a tapped 2-2 two, two zombie for each instant and sorcery card in your graveyard. So that's reasonable to make like 10 zombies. How do you deal with that? Sever the bloodline. Easy. <laughs> it's a catch-all, right? It, it, it kills one thing for four mana permanently. Good. If you're getting demolished by a whole board of identical tokens, it's got you there too. And it also has the added benefit of it's okay to use relatively early because you can always cast it again. Yep. Uh, the, the art on this one, by the way, is kind of horrifying. It's like she's being dragged to hell, I guess. Not really sure. Maybe um, she's just falling into a volcano. I don't know. Number eight. Spookiest, scariest card in Shadows. Uh, it's, it's Fevered Visions, and this one is for all reasons. <laughs> Look at the art on this thing. This is messed up. What is happening? Yeah, even the flavor text. The mind can only expand so far before it flies apart. It flies out through the eyes and mouth, apparently. Yeah, um, horrifying card design. Really cool visions there. Uh, anyway, Fever Visions itself is a one blue-red enchantment. It reads, at the beginning of each player's end step, that player draws a card. And then if the player is your opponent and has four or more cards in hand, Fevered Visions deals two damage to them. And this is perfect for what the blue red deck wants to do which is just draw a ton of cards and eventually just ping your opponent out right maybe start pointing some uh, some fiery tempers at them attack with some tokens here and there uh slam a hasty threat or a finisher or a rise from the tides right uh or it could eventually just you know mill you <laughs> you're gonna ping your opponent out maybe you have some ways to like shuffle stuff back into your deck which it's in a strat there's ways to rebuy things from your graveyard uh, Fevered Visions is a way to make sure your blue-red deck is both pressuring your opponent and that you have constant gas. And uh, yeah, it draws your opponent a card too, but do you think I'm not going to put a card in my deck because it's symmetrical card draw? Is that what people think? <laughs> if they do, they haven't been listening to the show long enough. Yeah, that this card said, breaks the symmetry by itself. All right, so moving on to number seven, this is a card that's a favorite of both mine and Ben's. And for me personally, I mean, hey, we're talking about, um, you know, recurring threats. This is one of them. Seasons past four green green for sorcery. Return any number of cards with different mana values from your graveyard to your hand. Put seasons past on the bottom of its owner's library. So this is one of those cards where you can effectively prevent yourself from milling out. If you can have at least one copy of this uh, that doesn't get milled or you know, you have two copies of it and you can chain them together, which is always great fun. Um, you do have to build around this a little bit, but it is a terrifying card when your opponent goes off with it because it doesn't take a lot to build around. You're really just paying attention to your curve and making some some skewing kind of decisions based on how many twos or threes or fours you have. And I mean, for six mana, if you're getting your six mana's worth out of it, you get a, you know, a three drop, a two drop, a one drop. Great. Like we we broke even on mana and a lot of times you're yeah. getting more than that. So yeah, what if you self-mill a land or, or a five-drop, right? Seasons Past is the type of card where either your opponent casts it and you're like, oh, that does nothing. I'm just going to win now. Or you go, oh, I, just, I can't win, but I have to keep playing for a couple turns. And there's nothing more spooky than that. <laughs> that's, that's brutal. Uh, Seasons Past, it, it also has a couple combos. My favorite 
I, I guess deck I've even had. One of my all-time favorite limited decks, full stop, was a Tamiyo's Journal, Seasons Past, Grim Flare, Black Green deck. Uh, it had multiple copies of Deadweight, multiple good removal spells, a bunch of Briar Bridge trackers to churn out clues to power the Tamiyo's Journal, which you can use to sack clues and tutor for Seasons Past, which is exactly what I did in Standard when these cards were legal super super messed up value engine you don't even need that though if you can use this to just draw four cards from your graveyard and then maybe shuffle your deck somehow and redraw it again later yeah you did it this card is so much fun and the art is more of like a a respite from the horrors of innistrad so maybe not scary art wise yeah more beautiful than scary i would say for the art but it's definitely a scary effect our next spookiest card, number six, Lingering Souls. Personally, I would be pretty freaked out if I saw that, <laughs> right? Yeah, oh yeah, that's, that's pretty terrifying. Yeah, I, I prefer my souls to not linger. I like them to go wherever <laughs> they're going and uh, <laughs> let me do my thing. Lingering Souls, for those that don't know it, it's two and a white sorcery. You create two 1-1 one, one white spirit creature tokens with flying. Three mana for two 1-1 one, one flyers. And that has flashback for one and a black. So you get two more 1-1 one, one flyers. Ridiculous card. Ridiculous rate. This card is worth splashing one or both halves of, depending on what your vector is looking like. If you're playing a graveyard deck of some kind, and you can get some ways to splash, like a, a Terramorphic Expanse or a, um, a Terrarian in this set, even if you can just like splash the back half off self milling it into your graveyard and your like black green deck, and then you only have like one or two ways to cast the front half, that's still probably pretty good. Uh, the rate on Lingering Souls is just so strong. Making four 1 1 flyers at such an efficient rate, you can have this like pumped out by turn four, right? Like turn three, you cast the front half, turn four, you cast the back half. Now, for the rest of the game, you get to swing in with four 1 1s. Your opponent can't kill them. You can't point a fiery temper at one of these and expect to win like the card advantage game, right? But then again, you also can't let yourself just take four every turn. <laughs> Great card. Yeah, it's tough to go wider than this too. Uh, if you're playing like real creatures, um, like real flyers are not going to cost one or two mana, right? So to have any real like amount of them, you're going to need like a few turns to kind of build up your your air defenses so to speak and this thing is just yeah. like over over two turns or maybe just on the same turn hey four one one flyers and you know good luck good luck number five scariest card in shadows remastered one of my personal all-time favorite cards ever printed thing in the ice one in a blue for a zero four yeah. horror it's got Defender when it enters and it enters the battlefield with four ice counters on it. Whenever you cast an instant or sorcery spell, remove an ice counter from it. Then if it has no ice counters on it, you transform it. It flips into Awoken Horror. Kraken, it's a Kraken Horror. It's a 7-8. And when it transforms into Awoken Horror, return all non-horror creatures to their owner's hands. So functionally, so cool. uh, you know, it sits on the board for a few turns. In the right decks, you can remove those counters in like a turn or two. And then it just flips, wipes the board, and just smacks your opponent for seven. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Titty, as it's uh, often known, <laughs> is a great card. Um, the thing about Thing in the Ice is that it is just a two mana 04. 
if you're not doing anything with it. So first of all, you want to be putting this in like the Brewhead Spells deck. Um, but even in that deck, it's okay if you just put this in front of like a 2-3. And if they have a combat trick, you probably trade like 2 mana for 2 mana, card for card. That's not the worst case in the world. Uh, but when you can protect this and flip it, ridiculous. This is another one too we talked about during the Kraken draft. You can flip this at instant speed if you have instance in hand and enough mana to to get this like remove those counters so hmm. that makes attacks really weird for your opponent because they're like well it's got two counters left on it and they've got some mana up there's a good chance they just flip and like like blow my board up uh yeah it gets it gets messy it makes things really difficult for your opponent and i love this card <laughs> yeah really fun design number four card we've heard about today already travel prep Always travel prepared. Uh, travel preparations in the right home is horrifying. <laughs> uh, this is the card that will tend to end games on the spot. Not because the game necessarily has to stop at that point, but because it puts your creatures just outside the realm of interaction for your opponent. Uh, it usually lets you get in for a massive swing of damage or forces them to chump block in a way that they didn't expect to have to chump block because it's just such an efficient rate Four mana for four counters. It doesn't have to be on the same creature. It doesn't have to be all on the same turn. You could pair this with like a turn five. You do a three mana removal spell, uh, two counters attack. You've made it such that they can't possibly have profitable blocks next term. You untap, you play a three, three, you travel prep again. You're just adding to the board so efficiently. Uh, really scary card to see out of your opponent's deck and one that you should take very highly. All right, so next we have another of my favorite cards from this particular, well, from the original set that this was printed in, mostly because Ben hates it uh, more than anything else, really. <laughs> Look what they um, did to my girl. <laughs> that would be Brazella, Voice of Nightmares. Brazella is a card that is horrifying in art more than anything, I would say, in terms of a limited environment. There's a really unlikely chance that you actually ever see this on the board of, across from you or get to put it together. Not that it won't happen, but it takes a rare and a mythic to do it. And uh, anyway, it's just flying. It has first strike. It has vigilance. It has lifelink. It also says your opponents can't cast spells with mana value three or less. Not creatures, not instances of sorceries, not artifacts. No spells, mana value three or less, <laughs> and it's a nine Sir. ten with all those extra abilities. Now, of it to, is. to create Brazella, of course, you need Bruno the Fading Light and you need Gisela the Broken Blade. One's a seven drop, one's a four drop, and uh, like I said, one's a rare, one's a mythic. I won't go through all the details on each of those cards, but uh, suffice to say, if you can ever put this together, send me a screenshot because I would love to see the board. Um, yeah, the thing is with melds they are pipe dreams right there's the one uh graph rats and uh the scavengers that goes with it flips it into like a six five menace or something like that pumps your team that one's doable uh, but it's not great the graph rats itself is just a two mana two one and then you need it to meld with the other card which i think might even be an uncommon uh not a thing you really want to build your vector towards I mean, what are you supposed to do? How, how do you enable that? You don't really. You just have to luck into it. And if it happens, you probably win. You need good card selection. Maybe in like a black-green deck where you're self-milling, returning particular creatures to your hand. Um, but in an average deck, it's not really good enough. 
the other ones, uh, Brizella and Handwear Battlements um, and Handwear Vanguard, I think the card is called. That one I actually did once. I made Handwear the Writhing Township. And that one is gross. Uh, the card on the front half, the... Uh, the, the the three mana two three that attacks to make a one one that's actually a great rate um it's the land that you tend to get late the handwear battlements that just doesn't really do anything uh, just like taps to give a creature haste or something like that it's not great uh so that one i did actually put together after doing this many 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 times and having taken a swing and a miss many 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 times uh i would expect that if you have bruna and gisella on the battlefield at the same time, your opponent would probably scoop before you get to flip them into Brizella anyway, because Gisela is just like a baby Baneslayer. Bruna is just a giant 5-7 flying vigilance that reanimates something. Hard to lose with that type of board. Uh, but again, if you do manage to pull this off, your opponent will run and scream and quit the game. Yeah, also, like... I don't know how you feel about this, Ben, but for me, just looking at the cards, trying to evaluate the cards, typically I'm not even that excited to put Bruna in a deck. Uh, Gisela is like pretty solid. Four mana, four, three, flying first strike lifelink, ignoring the fact that it can do any of the melding stuff is really good. Uh, seven mana, five, seven, flying vigilance, reanimate a thing is still pretty good. It only reanimates angels or humans, but there's no mana value limit. So theoretically, you could get, I mean, the joke is that you get back Gisela after somebody killed it earlier, but. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, and then the other thing is, like, you've got to make it to your end step <laughs> with these things alive for the meld to happen. True. Uh, so if your opponent has any instant speed removal, it's not going to happen. But, yeah, let us know if it does happen, because uh, I'd love to see the screenshots of that. The next one, number two spookiest, scariest card we've got here. How do you feel about jump scares? Yeah, I'm not a big fan. I like horror films that are more psychological thrillers, have a good kind of uh, storyline to them. Yeah, I tend to agree. There is one jump scare card I'm happy to put in literally any white deck, and that's Archangel Avison. You do not see her coming sometimes, right? Depending on how late in the game it is. Uh, And maybe the scariest part about her is that even if you do see her coming, you're still screwed. (laughs) What do you do about it? Yeah. Yep. Five mana, four, four, flash, flying, vigilance. She's a legend, uh, legendary angel at Mythic. When she ETBs, your creatures become indestructible until the end of the turn, including her. So at, at the baseline, even with nothing else on board, she's a five mana, four, four, Sarah Angel with flash and indestructible. So good. <laughs> yep. Uh, but that's only, that's not even all of the front half. When a non-angel creature you control dies, uh, you transform Avacyn at the beginning of the next upkeep, which is a very strange timing restriction. Sometimes you want to do something where you like sacrifice one of your creatures at, at a weird time so that it triggers on a particular upkeep, uh, either theirs or yours. Um, you can play around with that. But she flips into Avacyn the Purifier, a 6-5, now red angel. She's, she's mad now. Uh, when it flips into Avis in the Purifier, she deals three damage to each other creature and each opponent. I've actually just straight up killed opponents with this if they're at three or less life because it just it just bolts them for free. Uh, plus, it wipes the board. Seems a little strange because um, this is at its best in, in a white deck, which will have a bunch of little creatures running around. Hopefully, by that point, you've either buffed them out of range or you have some bigger drops that you curved into her. Uh, or you just don't care anymore because you have a 6-5 flyer. <laughs> All right. And number one, the top 
big, bad, spookiest, scariest card in all of Shadows Remastered. My girl Emmy. Emrakul, the promised end. It was a 13 mana, 13 13 legendary Eldrazi at Mythic. Emrakul, the promised end, costs one less to cast for each card type among cards in your graveyard. When you cast Emrakul, you gain control of target opponent during that player's next turn. After that turn, that player takes an extra turn. Oh, and by the way, also has flying trample and protection from instance. <laughs> you know what? The spookiest thing about this card might just be whatever arena wizardry has to happen in order for that <laughs> trigger to happen on arena. I, I still don't know. I scooped in response to this once because I didn't want to experience some person taking control of my arena account <laughs> for a moment. Who knows what's going to happen there? Maybe they tab out of the draft and spend all my gems on uh, alchemy cards. <laughs> can you imagine? Oh my goodness. They can just, that feels like the, uh, like conspiracy version of this. If they ever did that on arena, like you can, or like the unversion, like you can just go do yeah. whatever you want with their account, delete all their cards, drain all their gems, whatever. Either way, there was actually an article that, uh, wizards released, uh, about how they engineered the solution to technologically make that work. Uh, pretty cool article. I would recommend checking it out. If I remember, I'll link it in the show notes. Um, but yeah, 13 mana, 13, 13, that lets you control your opponent on their turn. Then it's just also got flying and trample and is really difficult to remove because a lot of removal as it is at instant speed. And she gets cheaper if you happen to build around her. And even if you don't build around her, she's rarely going to be a 13 mana spell by like, late game like you'll at least get maybe i don't know what caster for 10 or so yeah we gotta say you know she's spooky she's scary if your opponent resolves this run for the hills but she does require a little bit of work right i think there are ways to get this think about the conduit of emrakul right that that backside of the uh werewolf from before when it attacks uh you float too colorless that type of thing big mana floating is probably the best way to eventually cast an Emrakul. There's a bunch of red and green werewolves that can tap for multiple mana uh, on their backsides um, or help you ramp into it in some way, shape, or form. You don't really want to reanimate her from the graveyard, although there's ways you can. You don't get that that beautiful take control of your opponent's uh, mind slaver type trigger. But still, even just having a 13-13 flying trample pro instance is good. I don't know. Reasonably, you're probably not going to get this lower than nine, maybe eight if you're really lucky. Uh, so do be prepared to pay a lot of mana. But if you do build to this vector, honestly, she kind of goes into the clues deck where you are making all those extra land drops, trying to play a late game, grind it out. Then Emrakul, I think, could really just scare the living daylights out of your opponent. <laughs> An enigma as vexing as life itself. Well, that about does it for us this week. Thank you so much for listening. Do jump in the Discord. Let us know what we missed. What cards should have made this list that didn't make this list? Honorable mentions and such like that. We'd love to hear about it. So jump in the Discord. Let us know about all of those different things. You can find the link to that in the episode description as well as on our Twitter page. And if you'd like to support the show directly, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash draftchaffpod or jump over to our merch store shop.draftchaff.com where you can pick up shirts and pint glasses and all sorts of stuff. Otherwise, you can find us on social media. Ben's been tweeting up a storm on Twitter <laughs> at DraftChaffPod, and uh, you can find... I'm usually managing the Reddit account, so you can find you uh, slash DraftChaffPod as well, I think, uh, on Reddit. So, uh, 
Thanks, folks, and we'll catch you next week. Okay, I've got one thing real quick. It is nearly 9 p.m. and I haven't eaten dinner yet, so I know we've got to go, but maybe to, to whet our appetite a little bit, I have a spooky story involving food. Uh, I attended a wedding a couple weekends ago, and you know those, those food tables they have at the reception? Sure. You know how they usually have, you know, cheeses, meats, some vegetables, maybe that type of thing. Nice finger food. Appetizers. Yeah. Uh, so my girlfriend and I, we go and we, we grab a whole bunch of stuff, right? They had like roasted vegetables, meat, all sorts of stuff, cheese. Uh, and we're like, all right, what a nice, nice spread, you know? Uh, we actually even grabbed some roasted zucchini and roasted peppers. They were these like small peppers, maybe a couple inches long. Uh, so we go, we sit down, we start eating. Uh, I take a bite of the pepper. I'm like, wow, that's actually kind of, kind of spicy. What's going on there? And, uh, my girlfriend who has a high spice tolerance as well, takes a bite and goes like, oh, wow, that is actually kind of spicy. And then for the next three minutes, we proceeded to endure the most grueling heat build I think I've ever had, uh, after eating a spicy food, this caught us out of nowhere ridiculously spicy one of the spiciest things i've ever eaten and this was just on the table at a regular old wedding reception where some 95 year old could have come along and picked that up alongside a uh, like a, a rose zucchini or, or, or something like that so um we're like what is happening what is going on uh our friend walks past and uh, she tells us were they shishitos they sound like shishitos it was scotch bonnets. That's what I got. Wait, say that again. You cut out. Oh, scotch bonnets. Hold on. I, I, I got to pick back up. Here. Oh, what? So get this. It turns out our friend recognized them. She was like, oh, yeah, my, my mom, who's Jamaican, uses those in her cooking all the time. But she uses a slice for a whole dish. You just ate a scotch bonnet. <laughs> what the heck? Scotch bonnets are like... Not the hottest, but there's some of the hottest peppers on the planet. I thought you were, I thought maybe based on the description, I thought maybe you had, you had like, there were shishitos because shishitos are very commonly roasted and just eaten as snacks, but they either have like no spice at all, or they're hotter than jalapenos. There's like a very wide range of spice on shishitos. And so I was like, you know, mm. it makes sense to put those out roasted at a, at a thing like that, but wow, scotch bonnets. And you just chowed down on the whole thing. <laughs> these were next to the other vegetables <laughs> i i can't imagine and i i then spent the next like 15 minutes like well just going and getting new drinks <laughs> because i had to just I, I had to wash it down with something right so i guess a, a bit of a a plus and a minus there for, for the experience but probably the spookiest jump scare i've had recently <laughs> caught me out of nowhere 